So one of the things we do here um, as a church is celebrate things as a family and experience things as a family. Um, one of our members has experienced a loss in their family, and uh, the woman's name was Dorothy Sorensen. And so we're praying for Dorothy's family. We're praying for um, God's grace and God's peace and God's comfort to be with that family. And so if you would, with me, just let's pray for a moment right now. So Lord God, Heavenly Father, you are the God of peace. You are the God of comfort. You are the God that guides us, teaches us the things that we need to know. I ask for your comfort, Lord, for your peace, for the family of Dorothy Sorensen. I pray, Lord, that you have her in your bosom right now at this very moment. You brought her home to be with you to experience the things that you have promised all of us to experience. So thank you, Lord, for her commitment to her family, to her loved ones, to the people who knew her. We pray for those around her who are suffering that loss. We ask, Lord, again, that you comfort them and give them your peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So here we are in the second week of Advent. Um, our Advent reading this morning focused on the book of, or the, the town of Bethlehem and how everybody knew the Messiah was coming from Bethlehem. Um, even Herod's advisors said it. Herod said, hey, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? And they weren't like, oh, hold on, let's, let's get back to you. We're going to go check some things. They're like, Bethlehem. Everybody knows that the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. So these candles back here, the Advent wreath, represents a couple of different things. Sometimes it's a location. Sometimes it's a group of people. What I'm concentrating on this year is the words that it represents, that those candles represent. And you can probably tell by your bulletin cover and by the title of the message that we're going to be talking about peace today. Of those four words, we're focusing on, the, on peace today. Um, we want to talk about uh, what God's peace looks like. We want to unpack that. We want to talk about what it does for believers, um, how we can apply it to our lives. So to start with, maybe we've got to f- uh, define a few terms here. Like, what exactly is peace? You might be thinking some things in your head right now, like, why aren't the who dis questions this easy, right? But the way we think about peace falls kind of short of the way the Bible talks about peace. When we think of peace, we think the, maybe the absence of conflict, which is not false at all. That's an absolute um, um, definition of the word peace. Um, sometimes if you're cool like Nathan, he, he say peace out when you're leaving a room, right? And from the 60s, like who can I pick on here? Shulo left, so I don't know. They say peace when they walk in the room, right? So there's different ways of using that word peace. Term of greeting. The word peace is common to most languages, if not all languages, and it can mean those things that I mentioned. But if we stop there with that of a definition, we fall short of how the Bible talks about peace and what God is trying to convey to us and help us to experience using his peace. Because the word also points to not only the absence of conflict. We could say that. We can make that as part of our working definition. But also what it is, is it's filled with something better. Taking away that conflict, taking away that, but filling us with something better. In the Old Testament, um, the Hebrew word for peace is probably one of the Hebrew words you know, of course, is, I'm sorry? Shalom, right. And I keep telling you, you know more Hebrew words than you probably realize. Uh, The New Testament, the word for peace is erena. Erena. So um, in the words, the most basic word, let's go back to shalom for a second, because we're probably a little more familiar with that. Um, the basic meaning for the word shalom is complete. Now, we usually associate shalom with peace, and again, that's not false. But really, the word for shalom, the meaning for shalom means complete. 
Um, and we see it used a whole lot of different ways written in the Hebrew language, um, different types of different types of things. Like, for example, um, if this back here was a big piece of stone slab, right, just a big piece of slab, uh, and it, if it didn't have, have any cracks in it, if it didn't have any chips out of it, we would say that it's complete. We would say that it is shalom. Another way that the word shalom is used in, in practice, common practice, is if we're talking about a brick wall. We're talking about a brick wall with no bricks missing, no gaps in it. If it's complete, we call it shalom. So the real, the meaning behind the word shalom means completeness. Now, it goes a little bit further than, than brick walls and, and stone slabs and things like that. It, it can refer to things that, uh, that are actually very complex with lots of moving parts that are in a state of completeness. So if you look at the Hebrew word shalom where it's not showing up as the word peace and then try to figure out exactly what we're talking about here and how it's used in a regular conversation, really sentence, uh, we see it in the book of Job, believe it or not. Book of Job, uh, chapter 5, verse 24, it says this. You will know shalom in your tent when you will take stock of your home and find nothing missing. When you take stock of your home and find nothing missing. Right? That's shalom. You will know shalom in your tent when you take stock of your home. So everything is complete. Right? And think about the, all the complexities of that word home. I mean, we're talking back in the day. So Job has flocks. right? So he's finding that none of his animals are missing. That all of his servants, all of his slaves are, are there. All of his kids are there. Everything in the house is, is as where it should be and, and everything in his place and, or everything has a place and everything in his place. That's shalom. When everything is complete, when everything is set, when everything is as it should be. So again, now it also refers to our state of being. Um, David, King David, right, when he was a young man, his brothers were out literally on the battlefield. And David's dad, Jesse, said, hey, go out and check your brothers and see how they're doing. Well, when David went up to them, he said, how is your shalom? Now, if we think peace, for crying out loud, they're on the battlefield. They're on the front lines of the battlefield. Do you walk up and say, hey, man, are you guys at peace right now? That's not what the word means. The word means, are you complete? How are you? How do you need anything? Are you lacking anything? Right? So, again, if we stop with the, the idea of peace, with shalom, falling way short of what God wants us to have in our lives and what he wants to show us. So, again, it goes to relationships, too. Any of these missing pieces are missing in a relationship. You know, our alignment, our shalom in our life breaks down. And it needs to be restored. That's the verb form of the word shalom. It means to restore. It means to make complete. Right? Shalom brings, um, I was going to say Solomon brings shalom to the temple. When he completes the temple, we say it is now shalom. It is now complete. Right? It is now as it should be. Wholeness, completeness. Again, it goes for relationships. To reconcile, to heal, to bring things back together again. If your animal, your goat, goes and eats your neighbor's field or garden, you make shalom by repaying and restoring what was destroyed. The shalom, the relationship part. So again, it doesn't mean just the absence of conflict. It means working together for each other and with each other. So now, with that as our backdrop this morning, with that as our backdrop... Enter the prophet Isaiah, who called for the prince of Shalom. Look at verse 6. He will be called Wonderful. He will be called Counselor. He will be called Almighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of... Sorry, Prince of... Actually, say Shalom. The Prince of Shalom, right? He's bringing us Shalom. Right? If we stop with the lack of, con of conflicts, we fall short of what God is trying to tell us. 
Jesus didn't come to just bring conflict or to break conflicts between us. He came to give us completeness, to make us whole again, to make us complete. And it says his reign will bring shalom without end, will bring completeness without end. That's why the angels use that word. That's why the angels talk about that when they came and announced it. Luke 2.14. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, I want to say shalom, but this is actually in the New Testament, so it's arena, um, goodwill toward men. Completeness. On earth, complete, full. Now God gives us the Prince of Peace to bring back to us that wholeness. Especially... You listening to me? Especially as it pertains to our relationship with God, which we have completely destroyed and messed up, and it's a a disaster. So that's why he sent the Prince of Peace, to put that all back together again. Right? The Prince of Shalom, to restore that. I could go on with that, how Jesus gives us his arene, and how Jesus restores us and makes us complete with God again. Brings peace back between us and God. Brings completeness back with us and God. It's like 20 verses off the top of my head, but I don't, I don't want to go there this morning with that because I've done that before, and I feel like I'm kind of at a crossroads right now, and we could go down that road again, but there's a different path I want us to take this morning. There's a different understanding that I want us to bring home, a different understanding that I want us to literally walk out the door with and be able to apply to our lives. That idea of shalom, that idea of being complete, that idea of being erene. So now the question is, what do we... What do we want to do? How do we get that peace that the Bible says passes understanding? How do we get the peace that passes understanding? Remember we used to sing that song, Peace That Passes Understanding, Down In My Heart? Where? Down In My Heart? Am I the only one that knows that song? All right, you guys, all right, just don't want to sing. Got it, all right. So now the question I want to answer this morning, the question I want to tackle this morning is, why does Jesus give us that peace? Why does Jesus give us that peace, and what should our response be to that peace? Well, the first thing I want to talk about is the reason Jesus gives us that peace is to strengthen our heart. God's peace strengthens our heart. Before we look at one of the best verses that explains this, it's in the book of Psalms. I want to explain a little bit about the book of Psalms and tell you how we go about uh, discerning this kind of thing. Uh, The Psalms, uh, we say when we're reading the Psalms, are, are repetitive in a descriptive way. They're repetitive in a descriptive way. In other words, it kind of says things twice or maybe a different way. Sometimes it's a cause and effect. Sometimes it turns it around, it's an effect, and then the cause of that. So it doesn't, it's not just repetition for repetition's sake. It's repetition for clarity's sake. Psalm 29, verse 11 says this. Here's what I mean. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Okay, so the Lord strengthens us, gives us strength. How does he do that? He blesses us with his peace. How does he make us stronger? How does he strengthen us? He blesses us with his peace. And we start thinking about this. We talked about the word blessed before. The word blessed means to be completely satisfied. To be completely satisfied. The Lord completely satisfies us and strengthens our heart. How? By giving us his shalom. By making us complete. By making us whole. This is kind of repetition within repetition. It completely satisfies us, makes us complete, make us, makes us whole, and that strengthens us, strengthens our heart. I don't think we think about peace giving us strength. I mean, if I asked you to write an essay on the word peace, I think all these people in here, if we all wrote five pages on the word peace, I don't think the word strength would come in there once. But that's what God's peace does for us. It gives us that strength. 
Remember what I've been telling you all morning. Peace, shalom, equals completeness. God completes us, and that gives us strength. Lacking in nothing, like we saw back in Job. Lacking in nothing. Shalom means lacking in nothing. So, okay, so now, if you're in my youth group, I'm going to be forcing some questions out of you right now. The best question I like to hear out of the, come out of youth groups is, is the question, so what? Okay, so God gives us strength, and I, okay, but, you know, I would like to turn that around a little bit and put a little bit different point on it. The question should be, um, okay, so we're lacking in nothing. Lacking in nothing, then the question should be to accomplish what? To what end, right? Because, I mean, sometimes we just, you know, we, we read through the Bible and we think, wow, that sounded really good. That verse made me feel really good. How'd that verse make you feel? Oh, it made me feel pretty good. Well, let's find another one that makes it. Well, if we don't put skin on these words, if we don't actually put these words into practice and actually understand the why behind them, we're just skimming along on the surface. And like I always say, we might as well just be reading something else. Let's put some skin on these words and really dig into them and, and, and start to experience in them a little bit more. Well, lacking and accomplishing to do what? Okay, so someone, someone asked me, lacking nothing to accomplish what? Lacking nothing to accomplish what? Okay, I'm glad you asked. Boy, you guys with me this morning or not? Am I the only one? I can set myself on fire, and I think you guys will be like, oh, wow, okay, he's on fire. All right. Lacking to accomplish what? Okay, so that we have the ability, we have the capability, the ability and the capability to do what God commands us to do. Why does God make us complete? Because he gives us the ability, the capability to do what he commands us to do. Now, as you know, I said something about the youth group a second ago, as I always point out to our amazing epic youth, um, we, I point out that we can see two different aspects in the Bible. We can see two different things going on in the Bible at the same time. We could break those two things down into different things. But what I want to show you this morning is what, how God shows us two things. That he uses the Bible to show us his commands and his promises. Through the Bible, God gives us his commands and he gives us his promises. The basic idea is this, though. He gives us his commands so that we can cash in on his promises. He gives us commands so that we can cash in on his promises. Because I know the churchy words, right? I know when I say commands in the Bible, you think of that guy Moses over there in the stained glass windows coming down the mountain with the tablets. Anytime God has a command, the words thou shalt not are attached to him, right? Well, no. That's not really how it works, and that's really not how you should be looking at it. God's commands are all over the Bible. God's commands are for our good and our relationship with him. And when we start actually obeying those commands, we actually start putting those commands into practice, things start changing from the inside out. I'm talking about the kind of commands that come from like Colossians 3.15. Look at this. It says, let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. That's a command. It sounds like a real healthy suggestion, but it's actually a command. God says, do this, right? For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. There's another command, right? Colossians 3.15, this is an amazing, I was going to say it's a complicated verse, but maybe it's better to say it's a, it's a beautifully complex verse. Um, I talk about translations all the time, and this is not an easy thing to translate, but I think we did a pretty good job with it. I've talked about the word let before, right? And let, if we said, okay, I want you to give me uh, the textbook definition of the word let, you would say, well, it means to, to not hinder, to not block, to not barricade, to not... Um, obstruct or impede something happening, right? Allow it to happen, right? Well, in this verse, Jared's got it lit up very nicely here. Let, the word let and the word rule are, also, are actually the same word. Now, 
they're not the same word in different places. They're actually the same word. And for us to understand this Greek uh, phraseology or verbiage, we have to put these words in the middle there, kind of split that word up a little bit so that we can grasp what we're talking about here. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your heart. Okay, that word rule is a Greek word. Are you ready for this? Brabuo. Give it a shot. Brabuo. There you go. All right. It's the only time that this word appears in the New Testament. When that happens, it piques my interest. And I'm saying, okay, why did God put it there? And what can we learn from it? And how can we apply it to our lives? The Greek word brabuo means to this. It means to be an umpire. So when you're on a soccer field and you got that zebra running around in the strip, that is brabuo. It means this. It means to decide. It means to direct. And it means to control. So what is our response supposed to be to the Prince of Peace? Our response to the Prince of Peace, I'm going to put this up right now, should be that he should rule in your heart. Right? God strengthens our heart so that he can rule in our heart. What does that mean, to rule in our heart? Well, it means to let him call the shots of your life. Remember, in, in this culture that we're reading right now, the heart was considered the intellect. Right? So we would say, you know, let it rule our minds. That's why we sometimes say hearts and minds, because we wanted to cover both. When they're talking emotion, they're talking about, they say gut. That's why we say we have a gut feeling. Well, we get it from that culture, that, that historical culture right there. But to rule in your heart, to change the way you think, right? Let the peace of Christ, the thinking, make us complete, lacking in nothing. Let the peace of Christ decide, direct, control. Call the shots. You know, whether something's fair or foul, in or out, that's the umpire. That's what the umpire's doing. Is he the, he's the one calling the balls and strikes. Is that a strike or is he out? Is it safe or is he out? Inbounds, out of bounds, catch, not a catch. Right? It's discerning those things in our life, those things that are coming down in our lives. And when we do that, when we obey that command to let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, when we obey that command, God promises that his will is going to be in your, his peace is going to be in your heart. His will is going to be there. His peace is then going to, when we start to do that, when we start to, again, obey his command so that we can cash in on his promises, he says this. He says, I'm going to guard your heart. He says, I'm going to guard your heart. One of my favorite verses, I don't know, shout out to the youth group, I guess, today for some reason, but one of my favorite verses with the youth group is Philippians 4, 6. And then we're going to also add 4, 7 to that. 4, 6 has four commands in it. Again, when we're reading stuff like this, it looks like a healthy suggestion, or yeah, maybe if you get around to it. No, these are commands. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all he's done. Those are four commands in one verse right there. And remember how I said when we obey God's commands, God gives us his commands so that we can cash in on his promises, verse 7 comes up with the promises. Then, key word, right? Do all that. Then you will experience God's shalom, God's irene, which exceeds anything we can understand. Now, maybe we can grasp that part of that verse right now, right? We can walk out the door and say, yeah, we can't understand that. Well, not just the absence of conflict, right? To make you complete, God's irene, God's shalom will do more for, the, for you than you can possibly imagine or think. 
And then he says this, his peace, his shalom will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So what will that do? How will that work? If we actually let the peace that comes from the Prince of Peace, right? Prince of Peace, if we allow that, if we permit that, if we don't hinder that kind of peace to be in our lives, what if we let that kind of peace in our lives? What if we let that kind of peace call the shots in our lives? To say that that's a game changer is an understatement. When this divine umpire, right, this divine umpire calls a shot, this umpire called peace steps into the game of our lives, that umpire then start calling the shots, make our decisions for us. Because we don't make decisions based on very healthy things sometimes. We make decisions based on desperation, not comfort. We make decisions out of anxiety, not out of confidence. We make decisions out of worry instead of out of certainty. But when the shalom, the Prince of Shalom, is making those choices for us, he's going to guard all those other things to come, from coming into our lives. And when we look at verse 7, it says, His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. will guard your hearts and minds. What that's depicting is an army. Not the Air Force this time. An army standing at a city gate. Shields up, spears at the ready, not, let, not letting any of the riffraff in, not letting anything in that doesn't belong and anything that's not welcome. That's what God is going to do for our hearts and our minds. If we will allow him to do that it, by bringing him into our lives, letting him rule our lives. I've got a, a children's sermon, sermon illustration. I'm going to invite the kids to come on up here. While I get prepared here. Thank you. So I've got some water here. And I've got some cups. And I've got some food coloring. See my fingers are green from the first service? I can make a mess like nobody's business. Candace isn't here, is she? Okay, good. Okay, so... These two cups. I'm going to do this twice. So first of all, I want you to think of this as you. Okay, so this is how we are. This is how God creates us. Nice and clear and everything, right? Okay, and this is the world. These are the things of the world. So the world isn't always nice and clean and clear, right? I've got some food coloring here. Sometimes the world um, can make us angry, right? So I'm going to put some red in there to talk about how sometimes we can get angry. Anybody ever been angry at anything? Yeah, they're like, oh, I'm not supposed to say that in church, right? Green. So sometimes we say we're green with envy, right? So sometimes, you know, we want something that somebody else has, and that's not a good thing always, all the time like that. So and then blue, I pick blue. Ever try to uh, tell your parents you're going to hold your breath till you're blue in the face? My dad would say, go for it. Hold on, I'll get a stopwatch. Let's see how long you can make it. And I'm like, Dad, that's not the point, man. All right, so now what I'm going to do is I'm going to put these two cups together. I'm going to put the world on top of us and see what happens when uh, we don't have the peace of Christ in us, when we don't have God in us, whoa, we get, don't worry, I got the tray sitting right here. I'll try to do that a little better next time. Watch what happens, though. What happened? 
besides making a mess. They all just mix together, right? So everything that was in the world is now part of on the tree and partly in us, right? Don't worry, folks. That wasn't the point. The point is over here. Now, this is us over here. And God says, if you'll allow me into your life. So I'm going to put a little bit of salt in this one. Because God says, he is the salt of the earth. And you are the salt of the earth. And he says, when you allow me into your lives, when you allow me into your lives, I'm going to protect your hearts. I'm going to protect your minds from this stuff in the world. The world doesn't change. There's still all this stuff going on in the world. That still doesn't look good, right? Put some more of this in there, and it kind of just immediately turns black, right? And we don't want that in us, right? We want God's ideas in us. We don't want the world's ideas in us, right? Try to do this a little, a little better this time. Maybe we'll mix this up a little bit even. Okay, so now watch what happens. If we'll just allow God to work in our lives and to rule our lives, if we allow him into our hearts, into our minds, he says, I'm going to guard you, and I'm not going to let that stuff into your life. Now, this wasn't supposed to be quite the disaster it turned out to be, but maybe that's a little better that way. But this one immediately mixed, right? We can leave this one here all week, and it's not going to mix. Why? Well, this has salt in it. It's kind of representing who God is. But God says, I'm going to hold all that stuff up here. Just like the guards at a city gate got those big shields. They got their spears out. And they said, you're not welcome in here. You can't come in here. Just like this. God says, the world, some of the ideas of the world aren't welcome in our hearts and in our minds. Because it messes up the way we think and it messes up the decisions we make. God says, when you have me in your heart, I'm going to make sure that those bad decisions and those bad ideas stay where they belong, someplace else, not inside of us, not with who we are and where we are. You picking up what I'm putting down? Okay, let's pray, all right? Because we want God in our heart. We want this in our lives, right? We want God to be able to do that for us, so let's pray. So repeat after me. I'm sorry, repeat after me. So dear God, please come into my heart. Guard my thoughts. Help me be more like you. Help me have more of you in my life. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said? Yeah, all right, cool. So Miss Sarah right over there has some lollipops for you, so go mob her on your way back to your families. Thank you guys for coming up here. Thanks, Sarah, for taking one for the team. So you get the idea, right? God says, I'm going to guard your hearts and I'm going to guard your minds. The world, like I said, doesn't change. The world still looks the same. I wish this one still had this stuff in it, and I'm sure glad I put this tray down here this time. The world still looks the same. The world is still trying to get in there, but God says, I'm going to guard your hearts and I'm going to guard your minds. So then why? What difference does that make? Well, when we start making decisions, right? The ultimate umpire calling the shots. Like I said, we make decisions out of desperation, right? We make them out of anxiety. We make decisions out of worry. God says, no, I want you making decisions out of comfort. I want you making decisions out of confidence in who I am and who I, how I work in your life. I want you to make decisions based on the certainty that I'm there for you and behind you. 
So as we look at verse 7, we think about that guard. We think about how God guards our lives. And we think about how if we let him rule in our lives, if we let him call the shots in our lives, things start to look different. The world, like I said, is still the same. The disasters out there, the things that come at us are still the same, but we look at them differently, we react to them differently. That's the way God will guard our thoughts and our actions if we allow him to rule in our hearts. The prince of peace, right? The prince means ruler, means commander. That's why God sent Jesus in the first place, right? We sang about it. Why would you step down from your throne room in heaven? Well, because you guys need that in your lives. Allow it to happen. Bring it into your lives. Allow God, who sent Jesus, to be the umpire of our minds, to guard, protect, defend our thoughts and our actions. He word let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And then life is going to look different. Amen? All right, please stand with me.